0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Opening Life Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the cult classic Field of Dreams. For those of you who haven't seen the film, here's a short synopsis so you can follow along with our conversation. Field of Dreams is about a farmer named Ray Kinsella, played by Kevin Costner, who builds a baseball field in his cornfield that attracts the ghosts of baseball legends such as Shoeless Joe Jackson and the Chicago Black Sox. Who were caught up in a gambling scandal and accused of throwing the 1919 world series so ray is hearing a voice saying ease his pain and he thinks that the voice is talking about shoeless joe jackson he sacrifices a large portion of his cornfield to build the baseball diamond which begins to cause him and his wife annie a lot of pain of their own as Annie's brother Mark tries to force them to sell their farm to investors after the cost to build the diamond plunges them into bankruptcy. Meanwhile, the voice continues to urge Ray to ease his pain, which leads him to track down Terence Mann, played by James Earl Jones, an author with unrealized dreams of becoming a major league player for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Together, they try to solve the mystery of why The Voice and fate are bringing them together and taking them on such a bizarre but ultimately life-changing journey. One thing to note is that only people who believe in Ray when he tells them about The Voice telling him to go on this journey can see the players on the field. Two other key characters are Archie Graham, later known as Doc, who played a single game in 1922 for the New York Giants but never got to bat and Ray's father, John, who harbored his own baseball dreams that he longed to share with his son. To most everyone, it's just a baseball diamond in a cornfield, but to the folks who believe they get to watch the greats from throughout baseball history continue to play the game. I hope that synopsis helps you join us in our conversation. And with that, here's opening life. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Opening Life Podcast. It's good to be here again with Jay Kyle Gregory. And we are joined today by a friend of ours and a special friend of mine, my boyfriend, Dante Slocum. I like yeah. to call him tax man by day and screenwriter extraordinaire by night. But you would introduce yourself as what?
1: I would like to categorize myself as a frustrated dreamer. So,
0: yeah, which is funny because I feel like that fits in so well to what we're talking about today. We are going to be discussing the film Field of Dreams and all the themes that we can dig out of that in our beautiful Nexus way. But before we do that, how are you doing, Kyle?
2: I'm good because I'm here with you. Yay! It was a trip down memory lane in 1989 when the Field of Dreams was made. I was already post college, trying to make my way in the world with my wife, man, those haircuts and those clothes. clothes. Uh, I recognize that. And actually, you know what, there's a scene when he goes to see Terrence Mann, the writer, right? Mm -hmm. And he drives to Boston. (laughs) He went down a street where I lived for a summer. In 1979, Uh I was a student at Berkeley College and the Berkeley Music School, it's just down the street from Fenway Park.
0: Wow.
2: And one time that summer, I went to a game. It was one of those years when the Red Sox were really good. They had, now you guys probably don't remember these names because you're little, but Jim Rice. I was
0: gonna say, I don't know if we were
2: here yet. And you were a twinkle in the eye of the universe. (laughs)
1: Yeah, was my, 79. my mom was like maybe 10 oh man i
2: keep making that mistake time. <laughs> i forget how old i am
3: <laughs>
2: okay yeah so you weren't on this planet yet but i was The stadium was full i could only get an obstructed view seat so i had to sit behind a big iron pillar that was mm-hmm. holding up the upper deck seeing that brought back memories of that summer which was a beautiful wild adventure for me as a 17 year old boy from Southern Indiana, living by himself in Boston with no supervision. (laughs) uh, These are, you know, pre-internet, pre-cell phone days. When I say no supervision, I mean, no supervision.
0: (laughs) So, okay. I know this is off topic of what we were talking about, but what was that like? Um, But before that, you know, you'd ride your bike through the neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. And the rule was you just had to be home before the street lights came on because that's when it was getting dark. Yeah. But say 17, no internet, no supervision, no none of the things. What does that alternate universe
2: look like?
1: <laughs> Sounds like heaven.
2: Man, I kind of agree. I think it was heaven. <laughs> no, you know what? I've got two perspectives on that. I remember what it was like as a kid, and I know what it's like now as a parent. Mm. You know, where I'm like, literally, as I've demonstrated just hearing from my daughter just a few minutes ago, who's not feeling well, and always scanning my phone, you know, every hour for text from my adult kids. Because it was normal. It's a question of like what you're used to what your expectation is. So in my folks, I was there for the summer, I talked to them once on the phone. Okay. okay.
0: Wow. Yeah. The whole summer? Yes.
2: Yeah. Once. And I have a good relationship with my folks. And I don't think they were worried all night. I mean, I grew up, it was always go out and play till it gets dark. Or even you live in a neighborhood where you're kind of close enough where Kim had this, where she grew up. Her mom, when she wanted her to come home, would just go out on the porch and yell for her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yell her name. And she would need to be within <laughs> the distance of that. Yeah. Um but yeah, you just there was a trust. And but now, of course, like everybody else, I freak out if I leave my phone, can't find it because something could happen. That I don't know about it right away. I'm a big fan of Google Maps. Great thing. <laughs> but otherwise, I would trade if we could go back because of the freedom and also just so much less distraction. Yeah. You know, like when I'm trying to practice, I'm all the time. They're hearing little dings and Mm. alarms and it's just hard to concentrate.
0: I just got back from Lake City, Colorado, which is the most remote county in the lower 48 states of the country. And (laughs) I get no service up there. And so the only way to talk to me really is through WhatsApp. So anyone I'm not in conversation with on WhatsApp I don't get texts, I don't get phone calls unless I go down into town. And where I stay up by the lake, I get nothing. I love it. For two weeks, I can actually classify myself as off the grid. And I came back to Atlanta actually feeling very relaxed. I felt less heavy, I felt less frustrated with life and the world after being completely unplugged for the most part for the last two weeks. I, I think there's a part of me that might go a little bit nuts yeah. Now that I'm so used to being connected to people far and wide, but yeah. if it was something that was normal to be just kind of away, I think I would like that.
2: yeah, I long for that, yeah, <laughs> that silence
0: uh yeah, like the day Instagram broke <laughs>
2: yes. right but I don't think we're going back unless you don't know maybe some kind of small meteor that doesn't extinguish. The human race right. just knock out the internet for a while. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's happening. Right,
0: we should just schedule one day for Instagram to be broken, like once a month, maybe. Um,
1: one, maybe. you're talking about people jumping off buildings, man. <laughs> right. you're talking right. about money, money flow being interrupted. Oh
2: right. man, yeah. Well, let's dive into this film. So, Brittany, as I remember, we were looking for a film that we could use to open up the question of the soul of sports, the meaning of sports, not only for folks in the U.S., but for folks all over the world. Sports is a significant aspect of people's lives, both as a participant and as a spectator. We're exploring possible films, and you guys suggested looking at Field of Dreams which I thought was a lovely choice, by the way. Yay! Thank you for suggesting that.
0: Yeah. Um, so here's the interesting thing. I know that's what we were going for when we picked this film. And I'm sure that conversation is in there somewhere about yeah. vulnerability um, and sports, sports bringing out the ability for people to connect that have a hard time just connecting. But there is so much more stuff in there, I think, that we discovered, wouldn't you say, Dante?
2: Yeah, definitely. Just throw it open, what struck you from the film?
0: So I'll start here. I hadn't seen Field of Dreams before. Um, yeah. I've heard of it, I've okay. heard it referenced. It's like a classic American movie pastime kind of thing. And of course, that's has to do with baseball, which is like the quintessential American sport, baseball. Now, me personally. Sorry, Americans. I think baseball is boring. That's just me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're not (laughs) alone.
0: But um, so I I guess a movie about it, for some reason, Field of Dreams never appealed to me as a movie to just watch. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad I had the opportunity to watch it. Although I know we're not here to critique it, but I will say it wasn't my favorite movie, but there were so many things about it that were just like resonated with my soul. One of the things being the conversation about dreams, the conversation that Ray Kinsella is having with Dr. Archibong in his office when he tracks him down, uh, when he does that weird time loop thing and mm-hmm. goes back in time somehow yeah. and talking to him. Yeah. But the conversation that Dr. Archibong has with him about what it looks like to watch a dream pass you by, thinking that the opportunity is going to come back only to realize later that that was the moment and now it's gone and it's not coming back yeah. and what it looks like to live with knowing that you missed a dream. And then what it looks like to dream a new one. Yeah. That was a very uncomfortable conversation for me
2: Yeah.
0: as a person with a lot of dreams and a lot of things that I want to do between now and the time I go up yonder, I uh-huh. feel like I have all this time, but I also believe until I watched this movie, to be honest with you, that dreams will come back. Even if they come back in different forms, they come back. But the idea of watching a dream pass you by and go away was the thing that made me uncomfortable that I had to wrestle with. So I loved getting to watch that play out in Dr. Archibald's story. I think his story for me is the thing that I felt the most resonance with. his whole young life, he wanted to be a baseball player. Right. And then it didn't work out and he ended up becoming a doctor. But then he says, I can't imagine waking up every day and not being a doctor. But it was like, but you want to be a baseball player. Which one is it? So there's that moment near the end of the movie when Karen is choking. Karen falls off the bleachers, pushed off the bleachers, let's call it what it is. Yeah. And is choking. And he steps off of the baseball diamond knowing that when he steps off, he can't go back. Even though baseball was his dream, his calling was being a doctor. So then it got me in my head all about calling versus
2: dreams. Oh man, it's like soul again, the Disney movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Which we talked about. Well, hey, I wrote down the thing that he said Mm -hmm. that you're pointing to when they met in his doctor's office. I wrote it down word for word. Okay. He said to Ray, we don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives when they happen. Mm. How does that resonate?
0: I don't like that. (laughs) It makes me wonder what I've already missed. And then it makes me feel really anxious about missing anything else. But it also feels pretty impossible to pay attention to everything at the same time. Um, Which actually kind of goes back to the conversation we were having, you know, at the beginning about how distracted we are nowadays and how freeing it was to not have internet or not have any of those things because it was way easier to be present in the moment when you didn't have a Google calendar to think about or a post on Instagram or social media to think about. Or, you know, we're, I feel like we're so busy tracking to the next thing, to the next te- technology has created the ability to track so far in advance or to keep up with so many different things going on, not even just around us, but on literally other sides of the planet, that it it's increasingly difficult to be present in the moments. So it's it almost feels like it's easier to miss the things just because we're so distracted. Yeah. I did something in Colorado that I haven't attempted since college. I did a watercolor painting. Mm. And the first time I did a watercolor painting was in college, but it was color theory. They were trying to teach us mediums we could use to render our work. So your work is technical. You have this technical drawing that is gonna teach people how to build something, but it's also a work of art that needs to be beautiful because that's what sells the design. So we're learning all the different ways to render our work. And one of them, they tried to teach us with watercolor. And I hated it because I couldn't control the water. It was going all over my beautiful line drawing. And I'm like, no, yeah. this water is ruining so, my work.
2: Yeah. It goes where it wants to, where gravity it,
0: takes it. Exactly. So I put the watercolor down. It's like, I'm not doing that again. And then I pick it up 16 years later in the remote mountains of Colorado with no phone distracting me. But then I sat down at a table. I was there for three hours. Just painting. Yeah. And I got this beautiful thing that I didn't think I could do. But it was a moment that I would have missed had I been home because there's so many distractions here.
2: Connected to what you're talking about, for me, the image that stands out, it's the concluding image. Mm -hmm. John and Ray are just playing catch. I used to play catch with my dad. I grew up loving baseball. I played Little League. Did you play baseball, Dante?
1: I did. I wasn't any good, but I played. <laughs> hey,
2: that, that doesn't matter. I was pretty good, but not great. But I was totally into it. And then I would watch baseball games. My dad was totally into baseball. He grew up in the country in southern Indiana, where baseball in the 30s, baseball was a sport. He had five brothers. They all played baseball. Their little teeny little town, Glendale, Indiana, had an amateur team.
3: Mm.
2: And I remember my dad showing me a letter in like the early 30s. It was a letter from one of his brothers where they were writing to each other where he had to communicate with a physical letter. And they said, hey, we heard that Glendale's going to play a game. We're going to hitchhike down so that we can play. And they were working in Chicago, which was... A long ways from southern Indiana, especially in 1930. My dad's brothers hitchhiked from Chicago to southern Indiana. It was probably like eight, nine hour trip just to play an amateur baseball game. Mm. I was watching the Chicago Cubs from when I was a boy. I'd watch games with my dad. I play catch with my dad. And the thing about catch is it's very countercultural stuff we're talking about with distraction and doing a million things at the same time because the tradition also with catches, usually you don't talk. You just throw the ball back and forth. It's like a Zen mindfulness thing. I mean, no one in southern Indiana talked about Zen mindfulness. But it's, it's being, it's not doing and it's like, you're not even running around, you're two stationary people, throwing a ball back and forth. You know, that's the game. And my dad would usually do it with me until I would tell him dad, I want to try to throw my best fastball. And then he would be usually standing in front of the back of our garage, so that he wouldn't have to chase the ball because my control wasn't that great. So then I'd unleash my probably 58 mile per hour pretty slow. And nine times out of 10, I'd be wild. And the ball would bang against the wall of the garage and put a dent in it. And my dad would say, damn it. (laughs) And then then, (laughs) that was the end of catch. (laughs) Most of the games ended like that. But until we got to that point, it was like it's portrayed in the scene, this idyllic kind of just father and son throwing a ball back and forth. Did you play catch, Dante?
1: Uh, No, there was no catch in the Slocum household, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately.
2: what struck you from the film?
1: So, for me, what really struck me was the idea of the resurrection of a filter hmm. So, I have a little bit of a different view from what Brittany got from the doctor. Yes, he did find his calling and something else that he was very good at in this world besides being a baseball player. But he still got a chance to go back as a younger man and play that game. His dream that he passed by, or I should say the dream that passed him by, Yeah, he got a chance to live it out again.
2: Right,
1: And I think that's the biggest thorough line in the story. His biggest fear was, being like his father and not being able to achieve anything, not being able to actually see his dream come true, him being able to build this field, it allowed his father's dream to come back because his dad obviously was a baseball player. His dad loved the game. That was actually the thing that really drove them apart. Cause if I'm not mistaken, I believe Ray said that he didn't like baseball, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: At some point right. this game that, ended up being something that divided them was the thing that brought them back together and yeah. he had to resurrect his uh, father's dead dream yeah terence man he became a bitter recluse in part because of his own failed dreams right. and he got a chance to also see those things come back to life to me the resurrection of failed dreams the ability to circle back to what was thought to be dead in the first place to see that thing be resuscitated that was the biggest thing that i got
2: is how does that touch on what you're dealing with in life these days you know you got to be vulnerable in this opening live podcast conversation cutting right to the chase man what's that stir inside you
1: well this lovely lady
0: no, I'm just, I'm so curious what you're going to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, hey, this
2: is the first time we've had this lover's <laughs> dynamic on the podcast. Yeah, so podcast.
1: Um, I pretty much loved her since the first time I saw her.
2: And I right. was like, girls, go away. Yes. I heard some of this story. Keep yeah, going. so
1: I kind of hung around a little bit and, yeah. and nothing happened. And then she moved halfway across the country. I was just like, okay, well guess that's a dead dream you know it happens a little bit of contact every now and again i was like terrence man i'm like i'm done my heart is locked up
3: right.
1: <laughs> but earlier this year we were able to reconnect a little bit and i was able to see the resurrection of my own dead dream
2: wow that's beautiful <laughs> Is that wow. what
0: you were thinking when we were watching the movie?
1: Actually, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. See, that went right wow. over my head. That <laughs>
1: wow. Well, it wasn't your dream. <laughs> right, right. Okay.
2: Man, you're scoring points, brother. <laughs> and it's believable because to have someone like Brittany in your life, that's a person worth dreaming about.
0: <laughs> Seriously.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: wow. That's interesting. We were sitting there watching the movie together, having two different mental conversations. That's hilarious.
3: Yeah.
0: My take on it was from the parental side, how the father's dream had to be resurrected by the son in order for the father to have peace. I was thinking, what are the dreams of my parents are only going to happen through me? I started this conversation with my mom a while ago, just asking her, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Before you were a mom, who did you want to be? What were the things you wanted to do? And she tells me, like, I can't remember. And I'm on this mission to dig some of that stuff up because I'm wondering if there are things of hers that she put down that I'm supposed to pick up. Like I have my own dreams and my own things. And it's not something that I actively think about because I feel like I'm running around the world trying to achieve the things that are in my own heart. It is a conversation I did start with her some years ago and started wondering about watching this movie. What are some of those dreams that my mom has that won't happen through her life but might happen through mine?
2: What struck me from the film related to my biography is, I know an awful lot of men that seem not to have their passion stirred, Mm -hmm. except when they're some way connected to a sports event or team. Mm -hmm. And then you see this ignition (laughs) of energy and feeling and enthusiasm. And also, of course, the pain of crushing defeats. And I've lived that myself. I'm the kind of, I don't know if you are like this, Dante. I don't know how you are, Brittany. I'm like a loyalist. Basically, I just have two teams and I've loved these teams since I was a boy. And it's very connected to my relationship with my dad. So I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, started going to games with my dad, had season tickets at the Indiana Hoosiers' new stadium called Assembly Hall. Bobby yeah. Knight was a new coach. <laughs> and... From 1973 until 1987, through all the rest of my middle school, high school, bachelor's degree, master's degree, I stayed in town and went to my hometown school. I went to games with my dad. Like The rhythm of my life was largely determined by when the game was, like the NFL thing, you know. Dante, don't you have a family connection that plays for the Falcons or something?
1: Yeah, my cousin D'Angelo Malone, he's an outside linebacker. Yeah. Uh, he was taken by the Falcons in the third round of this past year's draft.
2: I'm sure his family the rhythm of their life is shaped a lot by his amazing achievement. So I was never playing, I was just watching. Although my seventh grade year of playing on the middle school team, I only missed one shot the whole season and it was a layup where I hit the bottom of the rim.
3: Oh the <laughs> um but
2: (laughs) my dad and i not only did we go to all those games we would talk about the hoosiers all the time in all my travels i moved to europe and then china and whenever i would call my dad the conversation for like 40 years would go like this it's like hey dad how you doing oh i'm okay how you kid i'm doing fine What do you think about the Hoosiers? And then we talk about the Hoosiers for longer than an hour. If I asked my dad, hey, Dad, how are you feeling really? Now tell me, like, how's life right now? He'd always say, and it was maybe typical of his generation, I'm fine, I'm doing fine. But then we would have this passionate conversation about the Hoosiers, and the thing that was always mysterious to me is, wow, we really have this deep connection through basketball. It took me some time to understand if, if someone asked me, are you close to your dad? And if I think about it in terms of talking about life problems, all the stuff like that, I mean, he cared, but we didn't talk that much about that. The way we did life was we talked about the Hoosiers. I cherish that time. And I cherish that connection. When I saw that portrayed in the film, that stirred me, including that final scene of John and Ray playing catch. It was a beautiful memory. my dad passed away five years ago. and I think about him all the time. And I thought when he passed, maybe I'd lose my passion, but instead I've kept watching it. And it's been a way of me feeling still connected to him. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think that is, Kyle? Because one of the other things about the film that struck me, and I have to admit, I know we're not here to critique it. It was my most frustrating part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the end when Taryn's man just gets up. He's trying to convince Ray's brother-in-law why Ray should not sign the papers to sell the farm over to him. And he right. gets up and he just starts talking. He goes, no, people will come. They'll come from far and wide. They'll they'll come and they don't even know why they're coming. They'll just be in their cars driving yeah. to Iowa and they'll turn down the driveway and they won't even know what they're doing, but they'll be doing it. Yeah. He just gets up and goes on this monologue about why people are going to come to this place because something about the game of baseball is going to stir their nostalgia and just draw them in. What is that? I feel like I missed it. I don't know if that makes me a not real American, which is probably (laughs) true. But (laughs) what what is that thing?
2: What do you think, Dante?
1: People are going to come here but they're going to come because they're seeking to fill some type of void mm-hmm. that they have missed out on, something that's passed them by. They don't even know why they're coming. It's because there's something that's echoing inside them and saying, look, there's something missing that needs to be filled here. It's the desire to be awe inspired, to be part of something bigger. That's why you have these big stadiums
2: yeah. And
1: this ruckus atmosphere. A couple of weeks ago, I went to the Falcons season opener and Brittany was in Colorado. I was actually sending her these videos through WhatsApp of the game. Yeah. And one of the things that she messaged back to me is like, wow, it makes me feel like I'm actually there.
0: Yeah, the energy was crazy. Yeah, so yeah.
1: that type of energy that takes place People want to be able to feel that type of energy.
0: Can I ask a question of both of you then? I get that void, but it never resonated with me with sports. I'm the one who's like, hey guys, who are we cheering for today? (laughs) When I lived in Colorado for a time, the Broncos were killing the game. And I was like, yay, Broncos. And then I moved to California till I got there. I didn't even know what a Golden State Warrior was.
1: You guys aren't (laughs) aware Brittany is the human Victory Cigar, so
2: oh. <laughs> those
1: championships follows. That's what she's yeah. trying to
2: say. Because,
1: which would be Colorado, <laughs> she she,
2: she likes one over this team, Yeah. Team. OK, we don't trust those folks. Anyway,
0: I say all that because I don't feel the void in me being filled okay. through sports. I'm looking at you, Dante, because I saw the way you went nuts putting your fantasy team together. That's <laughs> feeling some void. So what is that void for you? That's being filled by by being a part of that thing.
1: Uh, Well, the first thing is just a little humble brag. I won my fantasy league last year. So <laughs> that's a huge thing.
0: I have no idea what that means. Congratulations. Right.
1: I know. Thank you. <laughs> the first thing is that it's a hobby, really the only hobby that I have. But the second thing is is more of a friendship thing. My friend, it's his league. A few years ago, he asked me to do it. And when he asked me to do it, I had absolutely no desire to play fantasy football at all. I was just like, okay, you know, I'll do it as a way to stay connected.
2: I want to tie a quote into what you were talking about, Dante, because I wrote this quote down when Terrence Mann said this towards the latter part of the film, explaining why they will come. He said... They will watch their heroes and it will be as if they dip themselves in magic waters. Mm-hmm. It will remind us of all that once was good and could be again. People will come. I've kind of psychoanalyzed myself with this a fair amount because I asked myself, then am I just wasting my life watching these teams? Because also, the Hoosiers, when I started watching them, were awesome. They were the last team to go undefeated. That was in 1976.
1: They won, what, three championships too, right? Right. Yeah. 76, 81,
2: 87. But the Cubs were my other team, the Chicago Cubs, who were, except for 2016, our identity was as losers. Lovable
1: losers. (laughs) Yeah,
2: always losing. And we still loved them. It's like a loyalty thing. Of course, there's like, the living vicariously through your heroes. Mm -hmm. But the part that's kind of always been a push and pull inside me is sometimes I think, because I ask a question like this, is this good for my soul? You know, Mm -hmm. this time i am (laughs) spent watching the Cubs. (laughs) 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 I know it's not good for my career because I could be practicing. (laughs) Okay, but then I think, well, yeah, it is because I'm connecting with this epic battle that exists in the universe. There's something pure about sports. In that, unlike the rest of life, where it seems like a lot of times, there's supposedly a competition, but it's rigged. Mm. When sports are pure, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You have to watch the game, you have to be there. This team might on paper be 100 times better. But they could lose. And it's the drama. And then you're part of that drama. But then I think, you know, we're all a bunch of losers. If we waste our <laughs> life on, if we waste our life on sports, because hey, you should be the protagonist of your own life not living through the Kansas City Chiefs. Ooh. I don't know what to think about my sports addiction uh, <laughs> slash passion. What do you guys think about that stuff?
1: Well, I actually used to be a lot more into sports than I am now. I would consider myself a little more casual because of the exact thing that you were talking about. I wanted to start writing more. I pretty much cut back on sports. just wanted to be the protagonist of my own story, trying to get better at the craft and reach a goal. Yeah, But that's also what fills that void for many people, though, is the loyalty, is the emotional connection. And honestly, for most men, it's the only way that it can feel genuine emotion. At least they're allowed to feel genuine emotion when they're watching sports. Right. Like if the team won and a grown man starts crying, nobody's going to look at him sideways <laughs> <laughs> because the team won championship is a joyous occasion. You're permitted to cry in that right. situation. Yeah. And for them, they feel like they are part of the team. Right. <laughs> Uh, Except when they lose. We won, but, but, you know, they they
2: lost. 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 That's right. Exactly.
0: I feel like it's a dissociation. When it's your life, you have to own all of it. I'm speaking as somebody who has no idea what it really feels like to be all in like that with a sports team. You cannot fake it at all. It'll suck your energy out of you. But what I do feel like, it's one of those things everywhere your own life is a lot, and for this one moment... I get to be part of another story that isn't mine. I don't have to own all of my own story right now. I can be a part of something else. I'm not winning or losing, but I can feel like I'm winning or losing by vicariously living through this thing that I can't do anything about. I always think it's real interesting when people who aren't playing the game at all have so much judgment and so much to say about the players who are, I'm just going to say it, busting their asses want day in, day out to be the best players they can be to then like get yelled at by somebody who probably ain't seen the gym in a year about how badly they're doing on the court (laughs) (laughs) or on the field. It always blows my mind how personal it becomes to people that don't and probably will never have an idea of what it actually is like to be these players, but they feel like so much ownership over the work that these players are putting in. To me, they almost feel more connected to them and the game than they do their own lives. Because I feel like maybe it's an escape from the reality that we're all living under that's really heavy sometimes.
2: Yeah. Later in life, I think when you got adult kids, man, it's a battle to not be consumed with anxiety. (laughs) Because your kids are out in the world and all kinds of, pardon my French, shit can happen. My dad would, if the Hoosiers are on the road, he would get so stressed. He could not watch it live mm. he would tape it and he'd find out if they won if they won he would watch it and re-watch it and re-watch it mm-hmm. <laughs> if they lost he'd just skip it <laughs> sometimes at the arena he'd get so worked up about it and these are precious tickets that people wait for years to get mm. he would leave his seat and go walk around the corridor (laughs) during the game if he was like too stressed so I I do my own version of that like if the Hoosiers win then I'll check out all the podcast episodes I'll luxuriate it's like taking a bubble bath (laughs) I just drank it in man and if they lose I just turn the page
0: that's hilarious
2: yeah you know there's another piece of sports that I think is a big part of a field of dreams and a big part of baseball. The aesthetic piece of it, I would argue I know a lot of people think baseball is boring. I grew up with the rhythm. So I find the slow rhythm beautiful. Mm -hmm. The field is beautiful. Have you been to a professional baseball park, Brittany? Mm -hmm. I think you could objectively say it's a beautiful thing to see.
0: It is very beautiful. I don't want to think about how much water they're
2: working <laughs> off that grass yeah. green. Yeah. It's a beautiful summer day or summer evening. You're looking at this lush emerald green diamond. And it's not just the setting, but the sport. Europeans call soccer. Everyone in the rest of the world calls football. They call it the beautiful game. Beautiful okay. game. It's an experience of beauty. Have you ever gotten that from sports, Brittany? Have you found a sport for which... You got some of that beauty stuff inside of you?
0: Yes. I do feel that way about soccer. Okay. A.K.A. football and tennis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love watching tennis matches. Yeah. I'm attached to specific players. Like I remember when Brazil's team had like every superstar soccer player there was at the time. The way they just danced with the ball on the field. Right. It felt like choreography to me. I see athletes in those spaces, there's more artists on the field and that's how I connect to them. Right. But oftentimes I'm more invested in the individual athlete and their story than I am necessarily the whole game or even the team in their story. This underdog team yeah. that nobody right. thought was anything yeah. <laughs> comes from behind and like shocks yeah. the whole country. Yeah. And I really resonate with those kinds of stories. Right those diamonds in the roughs, those no one thought that they would be anything. I feel like those are the stories that you hear that make you feel like you can do anything. I always feel like the The underdog in everything. So I always resonate with those stories. Those I gotta prove something kind of stories, but not in like a watch me arrogant, I'm gonna prove it kind of way. One of the things I love about Steph Curry, nobody wanted to pick him for anything. Yeah, He was just silent, I'm just gonna do me.
2: We all feel the drama of one person when the odds are stacked against them, coming through under pressure. And it's so amazing to see someone triumph. And of course, someone has to triumph. Just to see that capacity of the human spirit, when you're facing a situation that's so daunting, and to see an individual overcome, I think, obviously, that's one of the things that moves us in sports.
1: Something overlooked about Field of Dreams is these ghosts, they're so passionate about baseball, they were resurrected from the dead (laughs) to literally play it for just a little while. That idea of passion really runs deep in the film.
0: Yeah, when he goes, hey, some other guys want to come back too. My first thought is, how did this cornfield become a portal to the dead? That was my first thought. (laughs) That brings up an interesting point. You know, Their souls were so connected to the game yeah. That when they had an opportunity to come back to a cornfield <laughs> <laughs> to play, even if they couldn't leave that one spot, it's like, hey, you're back here on earth. I think it's interesting how Doc walks off the field his other life, which is a doctor. The others, I wonder if they walked off the field what they would have been. But that part of their life, baseball, they're so passionate about it that even if that's the only thing they came back for, they were willing to do it. I don't feel that kind of passion about sports, but I do feel that kind of passion about music and writing and poetry. I feel that stirring in me when I hear a certain chord played. I was at an open mic in Lake City last week. It was the first open mic I performed at since before the pandemic, so it was a really cool moment for me. But I think my most favorite part was watching two performers. One of them was a guitarist who just played He didn't sing, he didn't do anything. He just played, he was finger picking. The arrangements and the chords that he chose to play these very familiar songs were resonating with me on such a level I felt like I was floating. And then this other guy, he had written his own songs. I don't know this man, but I remember his songs. The way he put the lyrics together and the way he put the notes together was just otherworldly to me. It spoke to like, this is why you're here, Brittany, to produce and enjoy this kind of creativity. Um, So again, I don't get that excited about sport. I have no idea what y'all are talking about for most of this podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) when we we connect the artistry of the athleticism is where I can speak to it because thinking about it on that soul and creative level is the way y'all feel about sports. This guy felt so passionate about sports, he almost bankrupted his family and his farm to make this dream come true. That's how I feel about writing and about music and creating things. But if it came down to doing something that I love to do for the rest of my life, even if it cost me everything, I'd be a writer
2: for sure. Yeah. For Shoeless Joe Jackson, that's what he felt on the diamond. Mm -hmm. It's a space where something comes alive that feels like it doesn't come alive in the same way in other places it's right. something deeply you you feel alive i feel that with the trumpet you feel that with poetry dante do you feel that with your writing
1: i feel that with writing and i also feel that when i'm watching a really great movie
2: yeah
1: I'm not the most emotional person in the world. I, just, I, just just, I, I knew that was coming out. I, was I waiting didn't for it. say anything! I was waiting for it.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like there's just certain movies where I feel super connected. It just makes my soul come alive.
2: Well, That's a beautiful conclusion to our conversation. It was a beautiful fairy tale to revisit, and an oldie but goodie. Thank you, Dante. Thank you, Brittany, for being here.
0: Thank you, Kyle. Thank
1: you.
2: Dear friends, you can watch Field of Dreams on your preferred video streaming platform. The music you're hearing in this episode is from James Horner's fabulous soundtrack. We're going to let that play out for you. You can find other life-opening articles on our website at nexusonline.org. Peace.